of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come. We're gathered together to lift up your name, to call on our Savior, to fall on your grace. sound great this morning, don't they? Y'all let them know one more time how much you appreciate them leading worship. Good job, guys. And uh, y'all go ahead and be seated for just a moment. We've still got some folks, I think, trying to get in. So if y'all can scoot in, that will be a huge, huge help. Leave the outside seats empty. Nobody moved. Let me say that again. If y'all could scoot in, that'll be a huge help. God bless you. Yes. I see that hand. Um, hey, listen, got some great news. We want to celebrate what the Lord's doing around here. To let you know, last Sunday, we had 1,011 people in worship. Amen. We were fired up about that. Now, I uh, want to go ahead. That's the good news. There's some bad news. Y'all still with me? Say yeah. Bad news is we had 646 people in Sunday school out of 1,011. 
We're going to have a come to Jesus meeting right now. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> want to encourage you big time. We had an awesome Sunday school class this morning. I love going to Sunday school. Jay Burkett's our teacher, and he did a great, great job. I want to encourage you to be involved in Sunday school. If you haven't found a place, it starts at 945. They're located all over the building. In fact, if you haven't found a place and you want to find somewhere, come at 945, come to the foyer. There's a group of people out there ready to receive you, help you find a spot to get plugged into. In fact, in order for us to streamline and really invest in our Sunday school small groups, we've got an entire new training set up called Concord Leadership University. It's CLUE for short. It really becomes the fingerprint of our Sunday school ministry. So every single adult class, we're encouraging every adult class to have not only a teacher, but an apprentice teacher, an outreach leader, as well as an inreach leader. And then we have a systematic flow now so that we can invest in all of those leaders in the class so that really and truly you can find a place where you can be known as well as you can get to know other people. Now I want to encourage you to do that tremendously. And the bottom line is you can come to worship every Sunday, and I'm fired up about that, but eventually you're going to get lost, and you're going to feel like you don't know anybody. That's why we have small group Sunday school classes, so you can get to know some folks. So go find yourself one and have an awesome, awesome time. Now, without you know, further ado, I want to welcome all you guys who are guests. When you came in, you got a brochure. Uh, inside the brochure is a little section we encourage all of our guests to fill out. And if you'll follow after the service right out here into the foyer, I'd love to give you one of these free gifts, a coffee mug, got a little spoon attachment, and a pen. <laughs> and some chocolate in there. Amen. That's legit right there. This is for Pastor Levi. So I'm going to leave that there. But we want to give that to you just, by, just to say thanks so much for coming and worshiping with us today. And uh, we're really expecting the Lord to do great things. But right now, let's stand up to our feet. You shake a few hands and tell everybody what class you were in in Sunday school this morning.
Come on, you guys, let's lift this song up as these kids help us lead this morning. Let's sing in spirit and in truth today. Lord, we love you. this place this morning. Amen. Do you love it? Our chains are gone. We've been set free. You can sit down.
And you know, we have a very special opportunity for you to overcome fear and sharing the gospel. In the next couple of weeks on Sunday evenings, prior to our time of worship, all of our adults are invited to join a class taught by John Carter entitled Share Jesus Without Fear. It's an awesome, awesome way to share the gospel. I've used it in the past, and I promise you it will encourage you, and you'll have a great, great time. So let's bow together in prayer. Father, thank you so much for giving us the ministry of the gospel that you have now called each one of us who are your followers to share the good news with those around us. And God, reality is, I know there are some people who are a little fearful, a little scared about sharing the gospel, and just need some encouragement. So God, I pray they'd take advantage of this marvelous class, Share Jesus Without Fear, and they get plugged into it. And God, I pray that it would really catapult us into being more effective witnesses for your namesake in our community, at our workplaces, in our homes, and all the surrounding areas. God, we want to live for you fully. And Lord Jesus, I also want to pray this morning that you would just use our time together as we study your word, looking to the Son of God with fresh eyes, praying that you'd speak to our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Well, let me invite you to open your Bible with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 4. If you're visiting with us, we're going through the Gospel of Luke uh, until we finish. And uh, right now, we're focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ in particular. So I'm very, very excited about what God has to share uh, through the Word this morning. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I'd invite you to stand with me in honor of God's Word As I read this, you read along with me in your text. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. You've got it there in front of you. Say amen. The Bible says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I wish it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In verse 13, When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Let's bow. Father... We thank you for your word this morning, and I'm praying that you give uh, my voice strength, uh, but also, Lord, I pray that you would speak clearly uh, to every single heart this morning. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you work the truth into our life, that we as a church will be sanctified at a greater pace as a result of our time together this morning. I pray that you would set us aside for your purposes, and Lord, that you would use your word to shape us into the image of your son, Jesus. And God, I pray that you'd speak to every single heart. Lord, there undoubtedly are people here this morning who do not have a personal relationship with you. So God, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of your word, that you would draw people to salvation and that we would give you glory and you alone for what you do. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. And everybody said, amen, and you can be seated. Well, our primary example for Christian living is Christ Jesus. He shows you and I how to genuinely worship God the Father. And as we walk behind Jesus through Luke's Gospels, we're able to see with fresh eyes the attitudes and the actions of the Lord Jesus. These attitudes and actions should make up the character of our own personal lives as well as the culture of His body, the New Testament church. The responsiveness of Jesus to God the Holy Spirit should outline for you and I how we are to respond to the Holy Spirit's leadership in our lives. As well, our interaction with temptation should mirror the interaction Jesus had with it, who was, according to Scripture, tempted in all ways as we are, yet he was without sin. Now, I remember when first studying the Scripture, I did not grasp fully the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ while he was on the earth. In fact, to be honest with you, I'm not certain I grasp it fully today. Are y'all all all right? 
there is a deep mystery when seeking to look at the God-man, Jesus Christ. 100% man, 100% God. This morning we follow Jesus into the wilderness where he experiences a great temptation from the devil. Now, any serious student of God's word would agree that indeed Jesus Christ is fully God. But what is interesting is that James chapter 1 and verse 13 tells us God cannot be tempted by evil. Yet here in our text, we have God in the flesh being tempted by evil. So is this a blatant discrepancy in the New Testament? The answer is not at all. We must remember when studying God the Son, something unique and mysterious occurred when he came to earth as a child. The Bible teaches you and I that Jesus laid aside his divine prerogatives and did not appeal to his divine nature as God to overcome temptation. The idea of laying aside his divine nature is taught to us by Paul the Apostle in Philippians chapter 2. When Paul says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who although existed in the form of God, did not consider a quality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, a servant indeed all the way, who was obedient to death. Now, when looking at the temptation of Jesus... I used to say, of course Jesus didn't sin while he was on the earth. He was God. This became a statement I would offer up when personally choosing to sin, giving myself a ready excuse. When tempted, I would sin and then simply say, well, it's not like I'm God or anything. However, upon further study of Jesus Christ, I have come to learn that in the wilderness, Jesus did not defeat Satan as God. Rather, he defeated Satan as man. Adrian Rogers writes in his book, Kingdom Authority, and I quote, Jesus did not defeat Satan in the wilderness by pulling rank or using the powers he had brought from heaven. He executed no miracles in this battle. He defeated Satan not as God but as perfect man. His two weapons were then and are today sufficient for our victory in spiritual warfare, the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Filled with the Spirit... He unsheathed the word of God to answer every devilish challenge, end quote. Now, I want you to pay close attention. I'm going to drop the plow, Lord willing, this morning a little deeper than probably normal on Sunday mornings. But I want you to listen. I got three stars by this in my notes. So this means listen, listen, listen. Has Jesus defeated God? I'm sorry. Had Jesus defeated Satan as God? then Jesus could not be our example to follow because we do not have a God nature to appeal to when tempted. However, because Jesus defeated Satan as a man, he serves as our primary example in overcoming temptation. Make no mistake about it this morning. Jesus had the power to overcome Satan in an instant because he was God in the flesh. However, as a humble man, Jesus had the authority to do only that which was according to the will of God the Father. Jesus chose not to exercise his divine power when tempted. Rather, Jesus chose to submit to the authority of the Holy Spirit when tempted and was thus empowered to overcome sin as a man. Now, we know that if Jesus Christ was tempted, then we who follow Christ will be tempted as well. We are not above our master, the Bible says. Jesus went and he was tempted. Therefore, as we follow him, we likewise will be tempted. But please listen closely. This is absolutely uh, theologically important. That when we look to the person of Jesus Christ during his life and ministry on earth, we must agree with what the scriptures teach about him. That he laid aside his divine nature to be a man. So he laid it aside. It's not that he didn't have it. It's that he laid it aside and did not choose to use it. But instead, he walked humbly submitted to the Father's will at every single moment in his life. In fact, as we study John's gospel, we find that Jesus did not do anything on his own initiative. He says, I do not do anything on my own initiative, but only that which the Father commands me to do. But then he also says, the words that I speak are not even mine, but they are the Father's words. So Jesus Christ, his actions, his attitudes, and even the words which he spoke were all in absolute submission to the authority of God the Father. 
He therefore becomes your and my primary example on how to live a victorious life as a follower of Jesus Christ while here on the earth. Are y'all still with me? Say yes. So this morning we look at the temptation of the Lord Jesus. But before we begin to unpack Luke chapter 4, what I want to do is talk for just a moment about temptation in and of itself. What exactly is temptation? Well, in a nutshell, temptation, and you've got to listen to this, temptation is an enticement to serve someone other than God. Now, whether we know it or not, or whether we're aware of it or not, there is a supernatural conspiracy against the soul of every man and every woman. Temptation comes knocking on our door daily, desiring to come into our life and to be entertained. I've noticed as a follower of Jesus Christ every single day on several occasions that I get a knock at my spiritual door, so to speak. Each knock is from a different temptation. The temptation doesn't make any reservations with me. The temptation doesn't call and ask if it's a good time. Nor does the temptation send me a letter to let me know that it is on its way. The temptation just shows up. I can be sitting in my house watching television, and all of a sudden there is a knock on my spiritual door. I can be in my office or at home, or even in the office at church, and then there's a knock. I can be out buying groceries, which I don't do much of, but I could be out buying groceries, or simply driving somewhere, and all of a sudden there is a knock. I can be preaching, teaching, talking, resting, watching, sitting, running, or just simply breathing, and then there is a knock. The reality is that I inspect the situation often and have to come to the inevitable concluding question in my life. Temptation is knocking. Should I answer the door? Now, very sad this morning for me to admit that there have been times when temptation knocked and I opened the door and gave a hearty invitation into my life. Come on in. Make yourself at home. Let me serve you. However, there have been times when I have stood frozen and refused to open the door of temptation. I could not open the door and serve the temptation because I was too focused on serving the king of my heart, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it would behoove us to understand that at every moment in our life, we are either serving Christ the King, or we have placed some sin over and above Jesus Christ in our heart, and we are serving that sin. That's why Paul the Apostle tells us in the book of Romans, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body, whereby you obey its evil desires. So there is absolutely no doubt that temptation comes knocking, and you and I, listen, have a choice about whether or not to open the door and let temptation enter into our life and become sin. So this morning, we look at temptation and really want to ask, who is knocking at the door? I mean, who really is after us, so to speak? Who is waging war, as Peter says, who is waging war against our soul? Who is planning a military assault against our relationship with Almighty God? Well, this morning we've got three doors. Do y'all see them up here? And behind each door is a picture of who is actually knocking. Y'all ready to say yes? So here's the first door. Somebody's knocking. Y'all listening? Should I let him in? Lord, it's the devil. Did you look at him? Y'all don't look spiritual like you don't know that song. Y'all know that song, don't you? <laughs> so we turn the door around, and we find out who's knocking. First and foremost, it is the devil. You know, the Bible tells us that our enemy is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So listen closely this morning. The devil is after you. And whenever the Bible says that he's seeking someone to devour, it literally is the imagery from the Greek New Testament, meaning to swallow down. So the enemy is after your relationship with God. He wants to drive a wedge between you and the Heavenly Father, and he wants to swallow down your testimony for the Son of God. So who's knocking? Without a doubt, the devil is knocking. But then we go to a second reality. Not only is the devil knocking, 
But we can look here and find out that indeed the world is knocking. Now, whenever we speak about world in the New Testament, we're not talking about the globe. But instead, we are actually talking about the world system. A great quote on that from a commentator which says, Everything in this world system is warped by sin. It is in the mindset of people without God and without His Word. And it exerts tremendous pressure on our lives. So the world system, listen, the world system is actually designed to tempt you. But then we go to the third door. And I feel this is really our greatest foe, even greater than the devil and the world. It's our own flesh. And whenever we speak about flesh in the New Testament, we're not talking about our literal flesh, our skin, but in fact, we are talking about our old nature, our old way of thinking, our old way of living, our fleshly nature. In the New Testament, in the book of Galatians, there is outlined for you and I a whole host of fruit of the flesh. And every single one of them revolve around a selfish attitude and a selfish lifestyle. So whenever we look at this flesh, it really speaks about our own predisposition to sin. We are all born with it because we are all born with a sin nature. But that is why the Bible says that when you and I are called to follow Jesus Christ, remember Jesus says it like this, you need to take up your cross, how often? Daily, every single day. And what Jesus is saying is you need to take up your cross daily and put your flesh to death so that your flesh does not cause you to walk in such a manner that is not worthy of the God you claim to know personally. Now, it's interesting when we begin to look at this, what we find is that the devil actually uses the world system to attract our flesh. So he, and I put it kind of like this, Satan is masterminding the world system in efforts to uh, attract our fleshly desires, seeking to get us to serve someone other than God. And remember, that's what temptation is. It is an enticement to get you and I to serve someone other than God. Now, are y'all still with me? Say yes. I want to ask you a question before we go any further that I think will help us. This week, think about your week. Are y'all thinking about it right now? Don't think about next week, but just this past week. How many of you would say beyond a shadow of a doubt there was a time where you were tempted? Would you slip your hand up real high? You were tempted this past week. Hold it up real high like you mean it, like you were really tempted, all right? Go, go, go. Several of y'all, God bless y'all. Y'all weren't tempted? Hmm. Now put your hands down. Here's the deal. All of you in the house were tempted. That means what I'm about to preach on this morning applies to every person in here. So it is radically important that you pay attention. Are y'all listening? Say yes. And here's what I know. Here's what I know. I know that the devil would love right now to entice you not to pay attention to the preaching. That's what he does. In fact, Jesus spoke about that when he talked about the parable of the seed. And he talked about how the seed was cast out, but it fell on some hearts. But then the birds came and grabbed that seed and ran. It was a picture of the Word of God. The Word is preached, and then the enemy is hovering around looking for somebody to run down and grab that truth away from. So this morning, the devil does not want you to listen. The enemy of your soul doesn't want you to pay attention. So I want to encourage you to do so. The Lord has given um, me an awesome opportunity this past week to study this text. There are some texts, how shall I say, some texts I feel like I got a hold of, but then there are some texts that I feel like got a hold of me. Y'all out there? And there is a difference. And God, I believe, is really using this text to teach me more about Jesus, more about how to follow Jesus. And so, I would just say it to you like this. I am just a man seeking to follow Jesus and learn how to do so. And now, for some unknown reason, God has called me to help all of you follow Jesus too. Y'all out there? So that's all we're doing. We're all talking this morning together as followers of Christ about how to better follow Him and not fall into temptation. So in order for us to do that, we've got to ask the key question of the text, how did Jesus overcome temptation? There's two major ways, and I want to give these to you. The first one is that Jesus fully submitted to the Holy Spirit's leadership. Jesus fully submitted to the Holy Spirit's leadership. Look in your Bibles again at Luke 4, 1 and 2. The Scripture says, Jesus 
full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. Now, the idea in this uh, first verse of Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit speaks to the fact that he was under the direct control of the Spirit of God. He was completely submitted to the Holy Spirit in his life. And notice the scripture tells us that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It speaks to the fact that Jesus was guided by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Now, in Matthew's gospel, he records the same scene of temptation and describes the leadership of the Holy Spirit in this way, saying, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. The phrase in the Greek New Testament, led up, is a sailing term which speaks of a boat that is being led by the wind. But you also need to know that the very word spirit means wind or breeze. Jesus compares the spirit's work to a wind or gentle breeze in John chapter 3. Whenever he's speaking to Nicodemus, he says this, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. You see, Jesus Christ compares the winds moving to the spirits moving. And here in Matthew's gospel, we actually have a picture of Jesus being moved by the cool breeze of God's spirit into the wilderness, like a sailboat that submits to the wind and is carried along the open waters. So Christ has submitted to the wind of God's Holy Spirit and is being led into the open wilderness. Now, for you and I as followers of Jesus, we gather great insight on how we are to live. We are to live in total submission to the authority of the Holy Spirit. And please remember, a ministry of Jesus is to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Spirit is a one-time event. God, through his grace, radically saves you. Maybe you were in church somewhere and you heard somebody talking about how to come into a personal relationship with Jesus. For the first time, you realized you were a sinner before God and you needed salvation. So God's Holy Spirit convicted you of sin and showed you that which was right, opening your eyes to the fact that Jesus Christ actually came and died on a cross for your sin. God the Father treated Jesus the Son as if he committed all of your sin on the cross 2,000 years ago. He was buried and then he was resurrected. So you were in church and you heard this message and the Spirit of God began to stir your heart. And then you repented and you placed your faith in Jesus and said, I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life. In that moment, God, through Jesus, baptized you in the Holy Spirit. That is a ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be baptized. John the Baptist said it. He said he's coming. He's going to baptize people in the Spirit and in fire. So the moment you were converted, you were baptized into the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God came to take up residence in your heart. Paul the Apostle writes about this in the book of Corinthians. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So as soon as you were saved, the Spirit of God came. Now, there is also a truth that we need not forget. The Bible encourages us, and shall I say it the way it is, commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul the Apostle writes to those in Ephesus saying, do not get drunk with wine, this is dissipation. But instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he says be filled with the Holy Spirit, it is a continual action. It means to keep on, keep on, keep on being filled. And the idea there of being filled means to be controlled. So the Spirit of God resides within us, but there is a continual action in which the Spirit of God is taking over our lives, gaining more and more control of us, and we are being filled with the Holy Spirit. Are y'all with me? Say yes. That is the work of the Spirit of God in our life. Now, I remember growing up and sitting in a theology class and seminary, cemetery, whatever you want to call it, and they would say we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But nobody ever told us how. Somebody, well, how? What does it mean? I mean, it's all good to say that, but what does it really mean to be filled with the Spirit? And so, and I'm just going to tell you kind of uh, what the Lord is teaching me and kind of how I feel like I'm growing as a Christian. I feel the easiest way for this to happen in my life is through prayer. In prayer, I ask God to take absolute control of my life. So I must desire to simply be a vehicle that the Spirit of God drives. 
Therefore, I want God to give me super sensitivity to his leading, so I ask for it. I also want to express simple obedience to the Spirit of God in my life. And I am finding the more I am in communication with the Lord through prayer, the clearer the Spirit's leading is for me in my life. So I'm just talking to God. Hey, just reminding you, God is a person who actually wants you to know Him. So we speak to Him through prayer. We talk to Him, leaning upon Him, desiring for Him to use us. We're like a glove, man, and we're asking the Spirit of God just to stick His hand in our life and just, just move us at will so that we might glorify the Father who is in heaven. That is our calling. Now, I have learned as well that oftentimes whenever we get serious about this, that the Spirit of God may ask you to do something that doesn't make sense. Are y'all listening to me pray? I apologize for drinking water. I know that ain't real polite. But that lizard leg is still in my throat, or what locust leg, whatever it was. Y'all with me? And I still got to preach tonight. Which, by the way, we have church on Sunday night. <laughs> Sorry. Low blow. But anyway, so uh, <laughs> there was a time when moving from one ministry to another ministry that the Spirit of God prompted my heart to do something that I thought, that is surely not what God is asking me to do. It makes no sense. And so I remember praying again and really wrestling with the Lord on. The Lord had asked me, there were a few guys in my life who had made a difference. He had asked me to actually um, pull those guys aside tell them how much I appreciated them, and then to shine their shoes. And I remember thinking, Lord, that doesn't make any sense. You want me to do what? You want me to shine their shoes? Their shoes look fine. They're going to think I'm nuts. But the Lord so pressed that on me that I literally, I, from my house, I brought all the stuff that I have, you know, my little shoe shining kit. And I brought that in there, and I set it all up, had them a little box to put their foot on. I brought one guy in, and I was nervous as a cat. Man, my heart was beating out of my chest. I said, man, I don't know how to tell you this except to say I appreciate your ministry, your encouragement in my life, and the Lord wants me to shine your shoes. <laughs> so I'm down there on the floor, and I asked him to sit in the chair. He says, put your foot up here. He said, man, you don't need to sign my shoe. I said, be quiet, Peter. But I remember wrestling with the Lord on that. And so I, I shined his shoes, shined the next guy's shoes, and I was, I was done with it. And somebody says, well, what happened next? Nothing. And that's the thing. Oftentimes we feel like, okay, if I'm obedient to the Holy Spirit, there's going to be some fireworks, man. It's going to be crazy. Nothing happened. I believe the reason the Lord led me to do that is so that I could learn how to humbly submit to his leadership. And the Spirit of God will begin to ask you to do things. And you and I, we must be quick to obey. That's what submission is all about. So we submit to the Spirit of God. So really, that's my challenge to us as a fellowship. I'm praying that we all would be in continual communication with God, asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us with clarity. And if we as a family are going to follow Jesus, then we must train ourselves to listen and obey the Spirit's prompting in our lives. So all of us need this. Listen, not just your pastor. No doubt I need it. But all of us as followers of Jesus. Every single one of us are on the same path, following the same Lord. Those of us who know Jesus. We're all going in the same direction. So we all need the Spirit's guidance. We need His leadership. And listen, you need the Spirit's leadership in the marketplace as much as I do in the ministry. And so often we think like, and I understand, but let me just go ahead listen. As we're guided by the Holy Spirit, we're going to be empowered to overcome temptation. This means that when Mr. or Mrs. Temptation knocks at our door, the Spirit of God will speak to our hearts and say, you don't want to go in that direction, turn and walk away. Now, I had an issue this past week, and I would just say I wasn't speaking with anyone from this fellowship. And just to be clear, let me say it again, I wasn't speaking to anybody in this fellowship. Are y'all with me? Say, yeah. But somebody got on my last nerve this week, made me like mad as rip. I know that doesn't happen to y'all because y'all are spiritual. <laughs> but I just thought, man, if I'm, I'm, I'll tell you what. I'm fixing to give this dude a piece of my mind let him know what I really think. Are y'all out there? And so I had this idea that I was really just fitting to let it fly, man, like Mussolini from the balcony, all right? I'm going to let it go. 
Did I just say Mussolini from the balcony? That was awesome. <laughs> Write that down. Forget that. And so here I am. I'm just about to let him have it. And then the Spirit of God convicts me. You need to be quiet. Now, I, good news is I actually listened to the Spirit of God and didn't say anything. I also felt the Spirit of God this past week prompting me to have a couple of difficult conversations. One was to share the gospel in a unique setting. If you were to look at the setting, you would say, that's not a place to share the gospel. But the Spirit of God impressed upon me to share the gospel with these people. And so I opened my mouth. Even though it wasn't conducive to gospel sharing, so to speak, I just shared the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong, I also messed up this week. The enemy began to tempt me in the air of my thought life this past week, and I would admit that I entertained thoughts that I should not have. God, the Holy Spirit, prompted me to get the thoughts out of my mind. However, I chose to ignore his leading. And when I do that, I immediately, listen, when I do this, I immediately lose a sense of his peace in my life. And the Spirit of God uses the peace of God as an umpire in our lives to express to us when we are stepping outside of God's will. That's what Paul writes in the New Testament. That the Spirit of God is like an umpire uh, guaranteeing us peace whenever we walk in bounds. And so I lost this peace. And here's what happens when I lose that peace. I so realize it that God uses the lack of peace for me to call back out to him, to bring and draw back near to him. And, you know, the Bible says that when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. So we lose that peace, but God gives it back when we step back in line. So the bottom line is that if we, and, and listen, please listen to the preacher for just a moment. I'm not just trying to cover up some time here, all right? I'm not like, okay, I got 30 minutes, I got to figure out something to say. I, I really am desiring to see all of us as followers of Jesus learn the discipline of walking in submission to the Holy Spirit. This is something that we must train ourselves to do. So I am challenging everybody to learn the art of submitting to the Spirit of God and do so by learning the art of speaking to God on a regular basis. Paul says, pray without ceasing. And it literally means pray over and over and often. So you and I, listen, Sunday can't be the only time you call out to God. You need to call out to him without stop. Somebody says, well, we're going to bother him. You think you can bother omnipotence? You can't bother God. So we call out to him. And as we are in a communication with him, the Spirit of God guides us, prompts us, shows us what direction we are to take. That's what Jesus did when he was tempted. Now there's a second truth. Y'all still with me? Say yes. Good night. Y'all are taking too long with this sermon. Point number two, he applied the truth to his life. He applied the truth to his life. And I, I chose uh, the terms carefully here for this point. Usually when I heard this uh, passage preached in the past, uh, the pastor would say, you need to memorize Scripture. And I'm down with that. You need to memorize it. It makes sense. But listen, memorizing Scripture and applying it are two different things. So we need to know it, but we need to also apply it to our lives. That's what Jesus did. Jesus' temptation came in three major forms. These three areas are ways in which we are also tempted. The first temptation is a temptation to serve yourself. Notice with me verses 3 through 4. The Bible says, And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus Christ had just spent 40 days and nights without food in prayer to the Father. He was hungry. The word used by the enemy is if which suggests that the enemy is trying to get Jesus to prove that he is God's son, the king. So what the devil is saying is, if you are God's son, there's no reason why you should be out here starving in the wilderness. Just turn these stones into bread. Assert your own power and take care of yourself. The enemy was trying to get Jesus to serve himself. It's interesting in this text, and I shared it with the first uh, service. But you find this temptation is unique. The temptation of the enemy, and please remember, I, I don't know how else to tell you this, but God is, uh, Jesus is fully God and fully man, but he didn't appeal to his God nature to overcome temptation. So when the devil is tempting the Lord Jesus to turn stones into the bread, listen, what he's doing is he's tempting Jesus to access his own divine nature to accomplish something on the earth. 
And that is wild because you and I don't have that temptation. Jesus, the Bible says, tempted always as we are yet without sin. But I want you to know this. Jesus was tempted to a greater capacity than any of us in this room could ever imagine. And so here he's being tempted. And by the way, Jesus could turn the stones into bread if he wanted to. He could turn the devil into bread and gobble him up if he desired. But he did not access his divine nature. Listen, he listened to the Spirit's leading. And then notice what happens. The Holy Spirit brought to the mind of Christ the Word of God which he had studied. Jesus responds in verse 4. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So in this moment, the Spirit brings to the mind of Jesus a verse of Scripture found in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. And please look at the preacher eyeball to eyeball. That is a ministry of the Spirit of God in your life. The Holy Spirit reveals, reminds, brings to your mind truth which you have learned in the Bible. It's what the Spirit does. So there are times when I'm tempted and all of a sudden a verse pops into my mind. I hadn't thought about that verse in weeks. Where did it come from? The Spirit of God. He brings it to our mind. Now I have to make a conscious decision to apply that truth. Now, the verse that Jesus brings up, Deuteronomy 8 and 3, it's a verse that states that God allowed Israel to be hungry. Please listen to this or you'll miss it. God allowed Israel to be hungry so that he might feed them with manna from heaven and teach them to trust him to provide for their needs. Jesus was tempted to not trust God the Father and instead serve himself and be like those in Israel in the Old Testament where they complained, they griped, and they murmured about their situation. But Jesus refused the temptation, submitting to the Spirit of God, applying the Scripture to his life. And listen to this. There will be times in your life where God will orchestrate your circumstances to become dry, just like a wilderness. That is, he may allow your resources to dry up completely. In the process of this dry period in your life, God will allow the enemy to tempt you so that you and I can grow stronger in our trust and faith in him. In the process of a dry period, God does this. The temptation will come from the enemy in the form of a question, saying, if you're really God's child, then why are you struggling so much with your finances? If you're really God's child, why are you struggling in your job? If you're really God's child, why do you have so many needs in your life? What is the problem with your marriage? What is the problem with your health? If God is really your father, why all of these issues? Why are you hungry and in need of something? If God really cared for you, you wouldn't be experiencing what you're experiencing. Are you sure God's going to meet all of your needs? Sure doesn't look like it. Maybe you ought to assert yourself and make things happen happen on your own and take care of yourself. It's what we fall into. And so when we're tempted in this area of our life, you know what we do? Do we do like Jesus or do we act like Israel? Oftentimes I have discovered we act like Israel. Lord, we're serving you. We're loving you. We know you. We got all this. Hey, we're in church every time the doors are open. Why this mess in my life? Why this dryness? Why this wilderness? What's the problem, God? We gripe and we complain. It's the opposite reaction that we are supposed to have. Instead of griping and complaining, but by the way, whenever you and I gripe and complain to God, you know what we're saying? God, I don't trust you. That's what we say. Jesus didn't act that way. Jesus trusted the Father. You and I are called to trust the Father not try to serve ourselves, not try to make things happen. If God has you in a dry place, quit trying to create water. Be still and know he's God. Learn to trust him, learn to walk. Listen, it's, it's, I mean, it will blow your face off when you start thinking about this. God is in the process of growing every single Christian on the face of the earth into the likeness of his son. How unique is that? God is working on me. God is working on you. And he's using all sorts of circumstances. Listen, most often many of them are being used by God to humble us so that we might realize he is the source and the sustenance of every fiber of our being. 
Serve yourself, temptation number one. Temptation number two is the temptation to serve another. Five and six, the Bible says he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it's been handed over to me, and I will uh, give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Now, what an attractive offer to a king who would be a suffering servant. You got to think about this with me for just a moment. Jesus was at a point in his life where he had no followers. He had no visible kingdom. He was in the middle of nowhere, it seemed, and all he had was God's call upon his life. He could have thought to himself, I'm out here in the desert without anything to eat. I'm out here all alone with no followers, and I'm supposed to be a king. I'm out here with nothing, and now I am being offered the very best. Jesus could have thought, if I pass this opportunity up, I may not get another one. And Jesus was tempted to serve the devil and receive all of these kingdoms. And in doing so, he could completely miss out on the suffering. Can I say it to you like this? Oftentimes, whenever we are looking for God's will in our life, what we do is we begin to kind of make a little road map. We say, okay, if I take this particular step, oh, I can see all these problems over here. That's going to be tough. There'll be some suffering right there. That can't be what God wants. And so then we look at this other passage, like, oh, no, that's, that's slick, man. That is smooth sailing. That must be the Father's will. I'm going to go in this direction because it's just so slick. Had Jesus seen it that way, he would have gone in the wrong direction. Because think about it. Jesus looking down one pathway uh, there's a time where he'll have followers. Crowds will be coming to it. But then all of a sudden, the crowds will leave him. Then all of a sudden, he's just got 12 left. That's his disciples. Then one of them betrays him. And then some of the others start scattering from him. When he comes and gets arrested, he's carried, put on trial. He's there before all the Sanhedrin and all these people ragging him out, hollering at him, screaming at him, spitting at him, beating him up, throwing him on a cross. Then he's buried. Then he's resurrection. Now, the resurrection's good, but Jesus could say, if I go that path, man, there's so much suffering there. Is that really what the Father desires? But he understood that was God's will. And so what I'm trying to say is be very careful whenever you're seeking to discern the will of the Father in your life that you're not trying to find the road with the least resistance. And by the way, just, just thinking about this, have you ever felt this way. I mean, you, you feel like you can't say no to anyone because if you do, it may ruin you. You know, Jesus is tempted by the, the enemy. You know, he, he indeed is a suffering servant. He indeed will have a kingdom which will have no end. And there's no doubt about that. But here comes a temptation. And if Jesus passes it up, is, this, is he going to get another opportunity? And sometimes we think the same way. We feel like we should be in this particular area in our life. And so we're going, we're going. And then, listen, we begin to get all these invitations. You can do this, you can do that. Will you do this, will you do that? And you just say yes to everything. Because you're afraid if you say no, you're going to miss an opportunity. Instead of relying upon God, we accept everything the world has to offer. We pile our plate with so much that we often lose our families, lose our friends, lose our sanity, and even our way in life. All for fear that we may miss out on something or miss an opportunity. And all the while, the devil's whispering in your ear, can God give you right now what I'm offering you? You better not pass this up. If you do, you'll never go anywhere. No one will ever know you, and you will never have another opportunity like this. You better jump on it, and you better jump on it now. Before you know it, you find that you're serving another instead of serving God with your full heart. And Jesus responds in verse 8. It's written, you shall not worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship the Lord your God serve him all. The temptation was for Jesus to serve another. We're tempted repeatedly to serve another, serve another. Listen, that's idolatry. And it keeps us from genuine worship. Let me give you all the third, and I promise you I'm almost done. I only got like a paragraph and another page. But let's look at <clears throat> the third point here is to serve another agenda. Serve another agenda. Serve yourself, first temptation. Serve another, second temptation. Serve another agenda, third temptation. Verse 9, the Bible says, And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, here the enemy wants to misuse the scripture and cause Jesus to accomplish another agenda outside of God the Father's plan for his life. 
And listen, look at, look at the preacher, eyeball to eyeball. The devil knows the Bible. He knows the Bible. And he will use it, twist it, abuse it. I mean, he will get you. You better know what the scriptures teach. And listen, make sure you keep the scripture in the context in which it was written. That's where all that false theology comes from. People cherry-picking verses, making them say what the devil has told them to make them say. And that's why you got a lot of churches now that are drinking down the devil's doctrine. They're getting drunk on something that ain't even truth. Notice how Jesus responds. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That is, Jesus refused to test the Lord in a way that was outside of his divine will. Therefore, Jesus fought against the agenda put forth by the enemy and chose to submit to the Father's agenda. Listen, God has a purpose for your life. The enemy is not above misusing the scripture to challenge you to presume upon God and to test him. Be careful, careful, careful. You choose to submit to the Holy Spirit and apply the truth to each temptation. That is how you overcome temptation. Now, in conclusion, I would remind you, the root of temptation, what is it? It's the enticement to serve someone other than God. Now, I want you to watch this. To serve another is to worship another. Are y'all listening and say yes? I really do. I want y'all to see this. I really only got like two more sentences. Look, look at me. It's an equation is what it is, a, a mathematical equation. Really, it boils down. Let me come over here. boils down to... What exactly is genuine worship? All of us are called to genuinely, authentically worship God the Father. Would you agree with this? Say yes. That's our calling. So what does it look like? How do we do it? We just learn. It's, here's the equation. Submission to the Holy Spirit's leadership plus application of the truth of Scripture equals genuine worship of God. It's pretty neat. They come up to Jesus and... Uh, Jesus is like, hey, my father uh, is looking for true worshipers. Really? What, what, what does that look like? Oh, oh, true worshipers? They worship in spirit and in truth. Do y'all hear the preacher preaching? That's where all of us need to be. Submitting to the spirit, applying the truth of scripture. Makes good sense to me, does it not to y'all? Let's bow together. Father, you know, I don't have the ability to... Uh,